Welcome to Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. Hey, Sean. How are you doing this morning? It's, it is morning. Okay, it's still morning. Yeah, it's still morning. <laughs> so we're in a strange situation where we're both in the same place that we don't get to do very often. Well, at least not for recording, but I'm pretty excited to try out the podcast room. Hopefully there's not any echo. There shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, maybe we... Uh... We'll have some good fidelity of sound coming from both of us this time. A little high-fi. A little high-fi, yeah. <laughs> um, so I know at least one of our listeners will be really interested to hear that you are fun employed at the moment. So what's what's going on? Yeah, um, yesterday was my last day at BlockFi after not quite two years. Uh, it was like, uh, can I even count? It was like 20 months maybe maybe 19 months there uh which is a bit longer than i was at postmates um but yeah i i got in october uh talking to an old friend and realized it was time for me to probably move on from blockfi soon and i'll be i'll be starting that that job that new job later in december and uh, i'm pretty excited it's a new domain and uh in the meantime i have 12 days of freedom between jobs all right. And it's the same number of days of Christmas, I hear. Yeah. So perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you what are you doing in your uh in your twelve days? Uh well I'm gonna be doing a lot of uh relaxing, of course. I kinda when you, when you go really hard at a job, you can kind of uh put too much of it into your life, you know. Uh I won't quite say I was burnt out, but uh there were there were beginning signs of of getting there. Um, so I'm going to relax a lot. I'm going to read. I'm going to um, start thinking about what what will be happening in my new job, and you know, spend some time with family, and maybe maybe drive a, a ways and go see a friend who I haven't seen in a long time because of pandemic. Um, nice. So a lot of that's up in the air, but I'm just kind of keeping it keeping it loose. Are you going to drive alone or? Yeah, um, an old friend of mine uh, who I went to uh, university with. Um, Still lives uh, close to the university. Of course, his family's in in that town too. But um, but he, uh, I haven't seen him in a long time. We're uh, he was my first roommate in college, um, and it wasn't even uh, wasn't even like the first semester. It was the summer before the first semester because um, I did a summer program there. And uh, and so we've known each other a very very long time now. Well, you like you're only like 27 though, so. Yeah. <laughs> that's very flattering Thanks. <laughs> no problem um so uh driving yeah like i have a secret love of driving so i'm just gonna i'm gonna throw out some driving wisdom you said 12 hours no did you say you didn't you said i didn't long. say i had 12 it's, hours in my head i don't know when you no, say long, long when you say long i'm like it's not long till it's 12 hours it, it's 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 i haven't seen him in a long time uh but uh, it's not it's not long it's just feels long because i haven't driven anywhere really <laughs> <laughs> that's true luckily when we started going and seeing family again they live four hours away so mm-hmm. it's so, about that distance no that's so. not too bad but my suggestion is spend half of it in silence uh since you're between jobs so mm-hmm. that's you your mileage may vary with that but that always works out really well for me. That was a weird transition in my life when I was driving a bunch. Cause at first I 
cranked up the radio. I was singing all the time. And then when I started getting bored of that and shutting things off, I think my creativity, my problem solving, mm-hmm. like the things that I really enjoyed doing anyway, seemed to get better. Probably because I spent a lot of that time doing that. Yeah, they say uh, you you do spend a lot of your time sleeping. Like asleep, your dreams help you work through problems. But I, yeah, I, I agree with that. One of my fondest memories is, I think it was in 2011, I was preparing. It's probably the most time I've spent preparing a talk ever. I was preparing a talk for RubyConf um, in New Orleans. And my wife and I were jogging a lot at the time. And, you know, that just take jogging takes a long time. Um, and so you have a lot of time to think. So I spent a lot of those, those, those nights that we would go jogging um, after she was done with work, uh, just thinking about the argument I was going to build up and present in my talk. So I'm, I'm a big fan of silent thought. I, I need to go pull up that talk now because I was at that conference. You were. <laughs> I was at that conference. Yeah. Uh, it was down there two years in a row, right? Yeah, it was, it, it was the second year it was, it was in New Orleans. Oh, maybe I was not there. I think I may have only gone the yeah. first. I don't remember. I went to a lot of those conferences. But I remember I went for a run, then I still once in a while would jog around then. I can't do it anymore. My knees are... No, I sound can't because like, my They toes. sound like Velcro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mine sound like popcorn. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know which is better. Um, but I remember jogging around along the river there next to the hotel. It was really nice. Uh, in early in the morning, nobody was up. Mm-hmm. It's was, it was nice and quiet, except the guys coming out in the French Quarter to spray down the the sidewalks That's from true. the night before. That's true. And yeah. one of the nights, maybe me coming out of the French Quarter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I had one rough night there. Uh, that was not good. I only, I think, I only had like two or three drinks, but it was a friend of mine got what do they call them? Uh, hand grenade or whatever, and. They've got all kinds Whoa, of crazy names yeah, for those. Yeah, it was like a lot of alcohol, and I didn't realize it. And I drank them pretty quick, and then I was like, oh. I stopped drinking for like the rest of the night, and we were up for four or five more hours after that. And I was still a little bit drunk at the mm-hmm. end of the night. It was not good. Uh, great. Now I just admitted that to everybody. Oh, well. It's okay, Amos. <laughs> we still like you. Everybody has a story like that. I have a few too many, probably. Mm-hmm. So going and visiting friend. Yep. Spending some time with the cats. Sure. Always. And, uh, you know, I noticed that you and I are both watching Casey Current and Sporting Casey News yeah. all the time. Yeah, that's real exciting. I don't want to make this into a sports podcast. It's okay. But... We can do that. <laughs> this is what the listeners come for. <laughs> the random stuff. The random stuff. That's right. Yeah, I'm actually... Um, I think it's for those those of you who don't know anything about Kansas City, sorry listeners, but uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes is a big deal here, um, quarterback for the Chiefs, and his uh, his fiance Brittany Matthews um, is uh, you know kind of uh, influential in her own right as well, um, and uh, she is a co owner of the women's soccer team. Um, and she's been big in, in promoting uh, women's sports in general in Kansas City, but especially soccer. And they earlier this year broke ground on a new training center. And I think it was what, like three or four weeks ago, mm-hmm. they they revealed um, 
their new team name because last this past season it's only been Kansas City NWSL, which is not doesn't roll off the tongue very well. No. <laughs> <laughs> and and so they they're called the Casey Current now after the the river, I guess, um, inspired by um, and they have a great new logo and they're building a stadium downtown basically. So, so somebody told me it's the first women's soccer stadium like purposely right. built. Right. It's it's the first uh, dedicated a stadium for a women's soccer team, which is huge because you think like this team has only been here a year. Like they just announced that they were going to have a team last January or this January, 2021. Um, and then, uh, you know, people signed up and went to the games and it was at the, uh, the minor league baseball stadium, which is not real great for soccer. Yeah. Um, not, not just that they have to like tweak the field, uh, like throw down sod to play soccer on it. Um, but also that, it's such a strange shape. Well, and they, it's like right next door to the, to the Casey sporting. <laughs> right. So, right. so have, the men's soccer stadium is right next door, like l- literally just blocks away. So they said this year they're going to, they're going to start out playing at sport at children's mercy park. Right. So they're going to use the actual men's soccer real stadium. Soccer field. Yeah. yeah. So that'll be nice. That's a step up. And then, Switch the new one whenever it's finished. I don't yeah, know when it's supposed I heard to be it's finished. Something like two years oh, okay. uh, for, so it's for construction. Be a while. So, um, but it's the neat thing is it's going to be uh, really close to a lot of things in the downtown area. It's going to be like right on the river, um, and they're going to extend this the streetcar line to from from the downtown area down into like like a terminus at the at the soccer stadium. Also, for those not in Kansas City, the streetcar is absolutely free too, yep. which is really awesome Along with all the buses, but the buses are free too. I see. I didn't yeah, it know started that. with just the street streetcar being free, but now the buses are free too. Nice. So you can go anywhere for free in Kansas yeah. city. That's what I just learned. So. <laughs> Almost Man, anywhere. I should start taking the bus more often. Yeah. And then we stole one of the best women's soccer yes. players in Sam Mewis, who's been on the national team. Incredible midfielder. Um, just, uh, dynamic player she's she's gonna be really exciting to watch yeah I'm, I'm pretty excited i after saw that they grabbed her i went and looked at season tickets that's how i found out that they're playing at sporting right. <laughs> so i got i got pretty excited i don't know i guess maybe we should talk about stuff think semi tangent to elixir yeah and here ends the sports podcast <laughs> <laughs> if you came for the sports you can go home now yeah so uh, moving move to a new company, is it, or is it Elixir also? So no, uh, technically, uh, not yet. Um, not yet. I like, I like, yeah, like that I, answer. It's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, I said it was a friend who, who, you know, was, was my way into this company. Um, it's, it's a, they're doing motion graphics. Um, so, or motion design is the word that they use. Uh, so if you, if you think of like, you know, if you used to do, Adobe Flash back in the day, or you've done After Effects. It's like that, but on the web. So, you know, in the same way that that Figma has has uh, changed the way people do collaborating on web design, mm-hmm. on static web design, this is going to be collaboration on motion design. So, motion design would include things like uh, just regular animations that you, that uh, you you might might see on the web. It could include uh, things like you know uh, advertisements, logo animations. Um, e- even I, I was thinking the other day, 
you know, we don't want to bring it back into the sports co- podcast, <laughs> but we're at a soccer game. And, you know, when they introduce the team, the, the players that are going to start uh, for, the, for the match, they have some really incredible, incredible motion design on the video board. Um, you know, some of it has video, some of it has, you know, photos. A lot of it is, is graphics that they've stitched together. And like, and that's, that's what, that's the sort of stuff that, that this company wants to target. So it's not making like movies. No, it's not movies. It's more about the animation than, than about, uh, it's not video editing. Okay. Um, it's like, uh, like make an animated logo, make a, you know, a splash, um, animation of some sort yeah it's it's small yeah. animations not like some full length yeah and not not like not like let's make a movie mm-hmm. uh you know uh it, it's more for for design design assets uh and so so on so they already have uh you know a working product that is mostly running in the web browser and and so like they have a really good front end team right now um and what the my friend uh was was uh, bringing me in to do is uh build out all the things that they need to do collaboration and and uh like really extend what they do on the back end because you know it's it's fine to be able to have a like really sophisticated editor in the browser but what people like that's that's good and that's a product in its own right um but what people really want is the ability to to collaborate on it to provide uh, feedback on designs to work on uh, different iterations and, and compare them and like and uh, or even like build out a portfolio for you know like a designer could create a portfolio so that they could show off their work and get get uh, get gigs or share templates like sell templates for how to do particular animation techniques and stuff like that. So nice. I think that next year we will need a lazy river comp animated yeah floating uh well maybe thoughts I, so. maybe i can get one of my <laughs> they, we do have some uh, motion designers on staff so maybe i can get can, a get can a, you say the idea. name of the company is yes uh it's called fable uh there are multiple companies out there called fable so if you want to go look it up it's fable.app uh not fable.io not fable.com it's fable.app it's one of those easy easy ones to find oh yeah <laughs> That sounds really cool. Like I was thinking when you were talking about um, doing the collaboration portion, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of stuff that Slab does with the uh, Delta. And I don't know how possible it would be, but it would be interesting if like two designers could work on the same like image or animation at the same time, doing the same kind of ideas of passing changes back and forth. I don't, I don't know enough about yeah, animation I mean, to know if you th- could do that. This is this is an area that. Uh, like I think I'll be able to explore. Um, obviously, there, you know, part part of the reason why my my friend wanted to bring me on was like, okay, you have distributed systems experience, you know, where all the bodies are buried, so to speak, <laughs> um, where all the problems are going to be. Like, what if we want to have real time collaboration, I'll, like something like Miro, um, mm-hmm. you know, where people are dragging things around on the on the project at the same time or like pointing at things and commenting on things. And like, you can see their cursor. That's a, that's one type of collaboration. Obviously there's the other kind, which is more of, um, uh, producing a, a collection of possibilities that get reviewed by the client or by the, you know, the stakeholder, um, for that design or, you know, saving like, so there's lots of different ways that we could do collaboration. 
Another area that he talked about uh, us wanting to do is, uh, you know, so a lot of this is like you do it in the browser, right? You draw your shapes, you animate them, you set the keyframes, you know, you set all that stuff up. But that only produces us like a level of quality that the browser can produce. But what if you want to do, you know, 4K video of this animation that you just created? You're not going to produce that with your browser. You better have a good internet connection. Yeah. Too. That's <laughs> awesome. uh, but so, so we're also thinking about how can we farm out the rendering to the cloud of, of things that are super high production quality. Can we use GPU uh, to do some of that? Like that's, those are some of the interesting problems we'll be looking at. Nice. Well, then there's, if you did end up wanting to use Erling or Elixir, there's all the work being done in Japan too to run on GPUs and mm-hmm. all the NX work that you could probably some, take some yeah. advantage of. Yeah, I think um, there there's definitely stuff to be learned from the uh, you know, the the XLA library that's behind NX. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the same problems in graphics, you know, need the matrix stuff that GPUs are really good at. Um, at parallel data parallelization um uh but i don't know yet like uh, some of it is going to be well let's just make the browser faster so let's write some rust code that compiles to wasm and then we can reuse some of that rust code on the back end but some of it may be hey let's figure out how to you know work the gpu to render 4k video for people what always kills me on the front end in the browser even if you're compiling and making things faster is you really have zero control over the quality of the computer it's running on mm-hmm. and or the problems like the interactions between the things so i've found that when we push a lot to try to do it i i would call it like it's nearly edge computing right you're pushing mm-hmm. it out to everybody else which is great like as much as they can do do it but then i've run into a lot of problems where on the server then you're like well they could be really slow so now the server has to make up for that or wait or yeah. yeah. So I don't know. There's some, some pretty interesting problems there and how, and how to isolate yourself from, yeah, they're doing something very quick. And then suddenly they open another program on their desktop that sucks up all the, you know, like they, (laughs) they get into a Google meet and now you have no more Ram. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We've all had that problem. (laughs) laptop sounds like an airplane taking off because yeah. you're all of a sudden in a Google meet. Yeah, you, you must be using Google. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yep. Can't compile whenever I have a meeting. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, part of this in, in addition to, um, you know, just needing a change, it's like, Hey, I need, I need to do some new things. I need to stretch like, myself. It sounds know? like a really cool, problem space to yeah, be in I've, I've never never done graphics before it would be like really do you think you're exciting. gonna end up writing some of the graphics code too uh, possibly um that'd be cool the you know I, I don't know that i'll be like you know coding open gl or anything like mm-hmm. that um but but uh learning about graphics systems and um you know I, I think i have on i put on my amazon wish list for uh, a game programming uh of designs or, or like patterns or whatever oh nice because I think a lot of the same things will apply. Have you? Did you watch Digit's talk from yes. ElixirConf? That was a fantastic talk. By the way, Digit, friend of the show. Yeah, friend of the show. <laughs> Gives amazing talks. He does, he does, or they do. Yeah, I was blown away by his talk, and then 
you know, that, that game programming, co- mm-hmm. I had never heard of, uh, entity was, component systems. It, yeah. I'd heard of it, but I had no idea what it actually meant. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I have a friend that, that is, he runs the St. Louis, um, gaming group or used to, I don't know if he still does him. Haven't talked to him in a while. Um, and he would talk about ECS, like everybody knew what it was. And, and so I had heard it before, like the term, but had no idea. And really, when he talked about game programming, I was like, I have no desire to ever do game programming. <laughs> Mainly because of, at the time, I don't know how it is now, but early in my career, I remember friends that went to game companies and they were working, you know, 90, 100 hours a week and treated nearly like slaves. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, that's that's less about the technology and more about the work environment and the the constraints on the work environment, right? Yeah, but it made me run from from like anything yeah. that they would talk about. I was like, I don't care, <laughs> right? You know, I, and and also like I don't know if if any of our listeners have seen it, but a, a number of years ago, there was this really interesting YouTube series called Handmade Hero, and uh, the the uh, host, the guy who was doing it, it was kind of like a live stream almost. Um, I think he was doing it on Twitch and then sending the recordings to YouTube, but. It was like, let's build a game from scratch. And what he means from scratch is like, you know, no, no, no game engine. Uh, we're just going to write some like, you know, C plus code. Cause it was like C code mostly, but using the C plus plus compiler and very few features of C plus plus and like the windows API and like working with it directly to build a 2d, uh, kind of Zelda like game. That's pretty cool. But what, uh, what I found really interesting is like, oh my gosh, these guys really have to, if they're going to do the the low level stuff, you know, understand how do you detect if two objects collide? Like there's a lot of, a lot of really interesting math in that. And there were some episodes of it. I think I only got about 30 episodes in cause it's, they're an hour at a time. Um, maybe I got, maybe I got through 40 uh, because I remember him saying something about here at the end of one, one work week, we have a, you know, like minimal engine to start developing our game on, but, but like the stuff that, that they have to know and how to, you know, for example, how to compute a differential equation stepwise as your game runs. That's pretty wild. The, the thing is, it's actually not hard. It, but like when you think about all the stuff you learn in school, if you ever took differential equations and it's all about, oh, well, you know, use this, this method to find the solutions to this and, um, you know, and all the, all the, like the intrinsic mathematical relationships and they don't care. You just like set the step, like how much are you stepping in, e- in each frame? And that become like, it becomes a direct calculation instead of this, like these abstract terms that you have to eliminate. And it was mind blowing. That I don't know. Have you ever made any games ever? I want to say I did when I was a lot younger <laughs> and programming in basic, but I don't know if it qualified as in a basic. Game. <laughs> well, that's how I started. Cause uh, so the last one I did was I did a Tetris clone in college and it was using QT from Zitrolltech mm-hmm. and collision detection wasn't that bad it was we decided to you know build all of the pieces in with matrices Mm -hmm. and then just rotate the matrices around and so i ended up using a lot of the math that we were doing in like linear algebra i don't know that was 
that was interesting, but you know, I had a lot of the, I feel like I had a lot of, it's a really simple engine <laughs> mm-hmm. and there was a lot of stuff pre-built because of QT that I just didn't have to deal with. So I couldn't imagine like building one up from scratch. It was called Handmade Hero. Yeah, that's the name of the series. Okay. Um, it's it's really interesting. And I think, oh yeah, that I remember now. This was right when VS Code was came out. Oh like yeah. Was became free. So he he uses a combination of VS Code and Emacs to write the software. VS Code mostly for the debugger. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. There's good debuggers in Emacs. <laughs> RDB. Sorry, listeners, you couldn't see my face. I was making it to Amos. <laughs> You've got RDB. <laughs> um, yeah, I've... Okay, so now, now I like feel like we need to talk about Emacs and VS Code. Uh, I have pretty much switched to VS Code at this point and, and not of my own accord. Uh, everybody that I work with uses VS Code and the live share is pretty easy to just turn on and, and work together. So we started doing that. And I've been fairly happy. There are things that I miss about Emacs and like the customizability. And I know that there's some of that in VS Code, but I I feel like customizing Emacs and learning a little scheme was worth my time. Mm-hmm. And customizing VS Code doesn't feel worth my time to me. I don't know. Do you think that's an aspect of the complexity of VS Code? Or is it just that you don't have to customize things? I I would say I'm not willing to put the time in to learn how to build a plugin for it. And then the plugins that are there, the customization is go update this config file. And so there's it's not exciting. There's no fun to it. Maybe if I actually tried to write a real plugin for it, that might be really exciting, but I'm just like, meh. <laughs> I'll just see if there's one out there. And if there's not, I probably don't need it that much. But it, and it does do a lot of the things that I want it to do with a few of the plugins that people have already built. And I appreciate their work. Thank you for doing the stuff that I don't want to do. <laughs> yeah, I think it was really uh, smart of them to to leverage the like the enormous size of the JavaScript community. Mm-hmm. That that is a thing that like aside from the fact that um, the APIs inside Emacs were designed. 40 years ago now or something like early eighties. Right. And some of them are not fun. No, they're not fun. <laughs> uh, and, and, and some of them are totally unintuitive. Like e- even the, the things that let you manipulate how the editor, you know, the open buffer works. Like I've been using Emacs for 10 years and I still don't understand those things. Uh, mostly cause I haven't had to, but also because they're just weird. <laughs> <laughs> but if you get like, you know, the JavaScript community is huge. You have a lot of people experienced in JavaScript. Um, it doesn't take that many of them to make a, a good customization. Yeah, and everybody who's coming out of any of those schools right now, the like boot camp schools, mm-hmm. they're all doing JavaScript node mostly. Mm-hmm. Uh, every once in a while, I see some Python coming out of those, but mm-hmm. that's kind of about it. So you're leveraging like a whole new group of people coming into that are probably learning on VS Code to start, which is good for them. Like my first editor for code, other than the QBasic editor, yeah. <laughs> was Emacs. That was 22 years ago. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I'm old. Uh, <laughs> I'm older. Uh, you're older. Perfect. So I'm only 26 then. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, and, and I wish I had actually stuck with Emacs because I feel like 
the more learning that I had done with the scheme and stuff, I would probably be a better programmer today, but I switched over to Vim at some point mm-hmm. and Vimal is utterly useless outside of Vim and mostly useless inside of Vim. So, uh, um, I don't, I don't, I don't remember. Oh, I know why I switched. I switched because I was using Emacs and then somebody came, one of my friends came in and was like, Hey, you can play Minesweeper. You can check your email. You have a browser. You have all these things, and and then I ended up using Emacs to like mess around, and mm-hmm. instead of getting my work done, and it was like, well, switch to Vim or fail out of school because I get sidetracked by my editor. <laughs> yeah, I I remember distinctly in in school, I I encountered Emacs, and you know everybody jokes about no one knows how to exit VI or Vim. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, at the time, I knew how to exit VI. I did not know how to exit. Emacs. Well, the great thing about Emacs is you don't have to exit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, you know, I would usually do my programming projects in VI or in uh, Pico. Oh yeah, I use Pico and JPico. Yeah, um, and and then it was like, well, edit the file in Pico, drop back out to the the terminal, compile it, see if it works. You know, flip back mm-hmm. and forth. It when I was in the the computer science lab, but you know. In, in my dorm room, I was using Notepad. <laughs> Notepad I was still using Pico. Yes. I I would uh, remote in to the school's mm-hmm. network, and that's where I did all my work using using yep. JPico usually. And it kind of amazed me how we would use like in class they would be like, "Okay, use JPico in this." But I felt like in the computer science department, those are the people who should have been talking about how to make how to get your work to go faster and Mm -hmm. exiting jpico and compiling and going back in was not fast and that's actually why i started switching over to to using some of the more integrated editors because i was really frustrated with that uh or like i would remote in twice and use one console to to compile and 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 that worked but it didn't didn't feel right so i was a little bit like confused at how these professors and TAs who had been, some of them had been out in the field and come back and like, why are they using Pico to edit everything? And, and I, now that I'm a lot older, I'm like, oh, well maybe it's because they didn't have to teach anybody anything. Yeah. Cause the other editors are not intuitive. Yeah, it, at first. There's only like, and Pico, there's only like what, 10 hotkeys or something. Well, and they're all listed at the bottom of the yeah. screen. Yeah. So, so there's like there's nothing to explain there. I think, uh, how I got into using Pico because a lot of my, my instructors were saying, you know, use VI for this. And like, and VI has that kind of modal interface that can be confusing at times mm-hmm. um, if you're not familiar with it. Um, but it was that, you know, the, the mail, the email system used pine. Oh yeah. And so it was like, Oh, well I know how to write an email in pine. This is just a small step to editing some text file in Pico. Okay. So, so I have to ask <laughs> what is J Pico? Uh, I think it stood for like Joe's Pico or something. It was like some customized version? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's just a little bit different. There were a couple, like two or three different mm-hmm. Picos that I had heard of over the years. But yeah, we had. Because I'd never heard of J Pico. I just, whatever one they had installed on the Sun OS 4 and the CS Lab is had, what we had. Ours had both. Okay. And I really think it was, I had a TA in a class and I, I'm pretty sure that he liked J Pico better than. Pico, and I, I, he's probably the reason that it was installed everywhere is because he just went and installed it on everything. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, it's just, I don't even know what's really different about it myself. Mm. I still remember going and putting spacing in and stuff by hands a lot. And then I, I had some professors who were super picky about the number of spaces that you had in there. Tabs versus spaces. Tabs versus spaces. And you had to remember which professor, if you were in two programming classes at the same time, you, 90% of your life was spent formatting exactly how that professor or TA wanted it formatted. Uh, which is like a huge waste of time. <laughs> um, that was another thing I used to do when I switched to BI is I would write file, like format files and load them up based on whatever class I was in so that they would be the exact, because we had professors that would count off because you used four spaces in your tab instead of five. And they'd really hate me today knowing that I only do two most of the time, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Yeah, we had some pretty opinionated people about oh, yeah. that, which surprised me. Yeah, um, I also ran into the in in college the C is not portable necessarily. Oh yeah, problem. Uh, you know, because like I would get the uh, doing one class work doing the work for one class in the CS lab, which was all Sun OS uh, workstations, um, Spark workstations, and 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 then sometimes I'd be on the uh, in the engineering schools like. A group lab which were hp ux and their c compilers were very different um and so it was like when i took my you know networking class which was all was funnily the 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 instructor insisted on us doing k and r style c um i'm not sure what that is uh, the the two creators of c that's k and their initials k and r oh, okay um so so uh it was uh you know you had to your, your your arguments did not have types on them, but you had to declare them at the top of your function, and and then uh, and everything. Of course, everything had to be declared, but not it couldn't be declared in the middle of your function. It had to be all be declared at the top. Every single variable you used. Did you have to do Hungarian notation also? I don't think he insisted on Hungarian notation because okay, we did both of those. <laughs> <laughs> but then it was all like socket programming with the you know the BSD sockets oh, yeah. API. So that, yeah, I think my first experience with C not running everywhere was in an AI class and we had to write a chess engine and then we all played our chess engines against each other. And I, my laptop at the time I had installed FreeBSD. So I did all of the programming in FreeBSD and we used some, I don't remember what it was. There was some open source chess program that you could load AIs into and you could also play against it and everything worked great on, on the laptop when we got into the lab the day that we were actually going to have the tournament with everybody so every human in the classroom had to play plus all of the AIs would play and we did like a big bracketed tournament and mine I did nothing different than anybody else because it would tell us the list of moves that you were allowed to make so you didn't have to go figure out what moves were valid. You just had to pick which move to make. And mine would get to the end of the game. It would have the other person down to like just their king. There would be nothing else there. And then it would try to move their king. And it would throw an error and shut down. And we tried and tried and tried to figure out why. Because we would take the same thing and put it on my laptop, put the other person's AI on there, and it would play just fine. But it was always, anytime we put it on the Windows machine, it would die <laughs> at the very end of the game. 
And I had spent way too many hours on that AI. Yeah, imagine so if uh, it's able to beat everyone else. It was, it was, we would run them all the way down to the king and it was really good. I spent hours reading chess books. Mm-hmm. I have um, one of my really good friends was the editor of the Missouri Chess Magazine and I would talk to him about what I was doing and and uh, he's now, he now runs the chess club in St. Louis, which is really cool if you're in St. Louis, go see the St. Louis Chess Club. It's a pretty awesome place. And he was a, an engineer too. So, I would like run it by him and talk to him about it. And yeah, way too much time. (laughs) Got really into that project and I really wanted to win that tournament. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I can tell. I think I tried to, it seemed like it was an optimization problem. Like the way that one compiler did optimize Mm -hmm. versus the other. Cause we did notice if we turned down the optimization, it would happen less often. But it was still happening. Maybe there was a a faulty optimization in the compiler. Yeah. Yeah. Or my code. (laughs) Or your code, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's it's both neat and kind of scary sometimes how we we rely so much on, or we maybe take for granted that our our code is going to be portable, especially if you think about, you know, if you're doing code in Elixir, yeah, of course it's portable. There's There's a bytecode format that, like, you know, you can take from, uh, you know, something running on an, on an Intel uh, Beam VM and run it on an ARM Beam VM and like, and, or, or on some other processor that's, you know, running your nerves project. Like it's, it's, we don't even bat an eye, but, but there's, God, there's so much work going into making sure those things are portable. It's like something that if you'd done, like you had the experience like mm-hmm. I did or the experience you, you talked about that, like oh wow it's actually kind of hard to make sure these things work i am so glad that they're doing that and not us yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, although i've it, it, digging into the beam implementation it's pretty neat to to dig through um but yeah i'm i'm glad i'm not writing that on a daily basis yeah beware of those preprocessor macros in the scheduler hide from them i I'll, yeah. I'll have to go look at them um oh that's my alarm i have a meeting so I got to get going. All right. Well, thanks, Amos. Good talking to you as always. All right. See ya.